This is The Dog and Bone. Welcome to The Dog and Bone, a series of podcasts brought to you by Propeller Group, the specialist agency that builds profile and helps grow business for companies in media, marketing, retail and technology. I'm Martin Lote, founder of Propeller and curator of The Dog and Bone. In each episode, we invite business leaders with something to say into our kennel for a chat, and we ask them to dig up something a bit tasty for us to chew on. This episode of The Dog and Bone is a recording of a recent conversation on the audio app Clubhouse. Myself and Dino Myers-Lamptey invited the editor-in-chief of Campaign magazine, Gideon Spania, into our chat room. And I started by asking him about his recent award win. So I joined Campaign in 2015. Uh, I was the head of media and then uh, in March, I was appointed the UK editor-in-chief, uh, and there was there actually wasn't a UK editor or editor-in-chief for, for the UK um, in the recent past, and Maisie McCabe, my colleague, became UK editor, so we became a uh, double act, although Maisie was on maternity leave, so uh, I think we were appointed or announced on the 4th of March, and the last day we were in the office was the 16th of March, and the campaign was already, um, you know... A, a brilliant brand with a brilliant team and I was very lucky you know I knew the team I was part of the team to sort of step up and of course we had a sense that Covid was becoming very very serious at that point and you know I I guess my the way I approached it was I worked in the financial crisis in 2008-9 and I remember as a journalist, you know, it was a it was a very tough time and it was a tough time for journalism and um, things like, you know, advertising revenues plummeted. And of course, that kept, that's what campaign's job is to cover the ad market. Um, but I felt like it was also a great opportunity for the campaign to help our audience navigate this crisis. So from a practical point of view, adapting to remote working was tough. Everyone did that. Um, but I just felt like we should get out there and understand what was going on. And of course, this is a team effort. And, you know, I think it was Brittany Kiefer, the culture and creativity editor, said she didn't think we should do Turkey of the Week. And uh, people will know Turkey of the Week is, is our pick of the worst ad of the week. And I think that's for me set the tone because I felt like this was about kindness we need to show some kindness there's a really recessions are horrible and apart from the fact thousands of people were dying this was also something where thousands in fact tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of people were you know losing their jobs and and including in um, media owners and agencies and brands and actually in those first few weeks uh, I, i remember saying to the team that you just you know, we've got to be mindful of the fact this is a very, very painful time for the companies we write about. Uh, we ran some good series. Um, we did one called Leadership and Lockdown, where we asked um, leaders of agencies and media owners, uh, how, how, how are you coping? What are you doing? And um, yeah, there was a, we did a lot of surveys and we were able to use our website to actually ask the audience questions like, well, what's your forecast the ad market? And I remember about the 27th or 28th of March, I was hearing the ad market is going to be down 50% in April. And I remember thinking, holy cow, because, you know, that's serious. You'd, you know, I know Martin and Dino, you've covered advertising a long time. And 
Um, I felt like through April, May, June, it was very, very difficult. But our job was just to keep up with the news and tell people what was going on. We had a live blog and um, there were stories that are still going on. There was um, Wendy Clark was poached from DDB to go to run Dentsu. We, we broke that story and we um, got the, the launch of new commercial arts and um, Claire Beale, who's my colleague and I think is in the room today, uh, where Claire you know handled that and did a great video interview we we had lots of good stories coming through as well proof that business had to go on and probably the hardest thing from a purely practical point of view is we continue to produce print style editions but in a digital format because we stopped printing in April um, but we did the school reports issue in April and we kept going and you know later on in the year um, we had a restructure which was very painful like a lot of companies uh, no one enjoyed that and I think we felt quite bruised but when it came to September the news kept coming BLM really high up on the agenda and we got some other interesting stories like Mark Reed uh, you know I picked up on his point about uh, you know the average age of people under 30. Uh, we had Nick Emery getting sacked for you know, mooning on Zoom, uh, their boss of Mindshare, uh, the AKQA Grey merger, which uh, had been long rumoured. And uh, when we heard about it and went to WPP, I'm not sure that campaign was the first to hear about it. But we were the first to get it on the record. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I think we had good stories. I think we, I like to think we had the right tone. And uh, I really think that the team worked incredibly hard. Well, one last thing I will say, which surprised me, I was talking to an agency leader in January and they said they'd found it very reassuring that campaign kept coming out every day with the email news. You know, we are advertising as a community and campaign is part of creating that sense of community. OK, yeah, I'm definitely we're going to come on to. I'm sure we want to talk about, um, and Dina might have some questions about kind of campaigns place in the in the industry and your your thoughts on that. But just just unpicking the, you know, where you are now on the business model then, because you mentioned doing um, digital versions of what would have been the print edition. But talk us through it now. What's what's the sort of portfolio? You you've got print, you've got digital, you've got you've got events, you have content play. Where's the where's the revenue mix now um, for a title like campaign? What makes you the money? Well, uh, I think for most B two B titles, um, I think it's it's a, it's a blend, right? That's the first thing to say. And um, you know, there's what what where our revenues come from since March in the last twelve months, and probably where it was at beforehand. And by the way, campaign was in a very robust state before the. Um, pandemic so the the yes subscription revenues are very important and they come from joint website and print magazine uh, there's no doubt that the website is the most important touch point for our audience our print magazine comes out 10 times a year and it does generate some revenue and it's an important part of the soul of campaign and we do quite a lot of branded content partnerships. We have a division called Content Labs, and we do a lot of roundtables and events and hosting and have those written up. And actually, interestingly, both subscription revenue and content 
branded content revenue rose last year, right? And uh, yeah, that's uh, since you ask, that was part of uh, the um, award entry. You know, we can prove that our subscription revenues rose last year, year on year, which is great. When, and it's a tribute to the journalism and again, the campaign team with um, our paywall model. Um, awards are an important revenue stream and conferences. And although people talk about uh, the awards dinners not happening, but still the awards themselves, I think, are very important. And we've had strong award entry levels. And I think one of the reasons is awards are great for um, you know, celebrating excellence and also for morale. And I think so it's a, that mix of things. And, uh, you know, I can't really give you a breakdown, but you, you should think of it as a blended model. Okay. Of which journalism is journalism is central. And are you still just a, a kind of almost like a kind of intriguing question? Are you still delivering the print edition to to London agency offices, or is that if you had to do a, a kind of U-turn on all that uh, physical mailing right now? No, we haven't done a U-turn. I mean, what what happened was between April and August, we did not print. Um, but we, we, you know, we printed, re well, we created replica magazines. Actually, we did a bit of experimentation and in, and in June and July, we created a, a slightly different kind of um, sort of vertical scroll. But um, uh, we pr we've been printing since September and we produced some brilliant magazines. Most offices, we, you know, we, we, we started reprinting in September because we thought offices were reopening and of course they barely did. Um, uh, so some... We still do do deliveries to some uh, London offices, and that's because those offices still have facilities people, and they, uh, I'm, I'm essentially talking about agencies, and and, and so uh, the agencies subscribe, they get multiple copies, and then they will distribute them themselves. So the short answer to your question is, is during the pandemic, we have cut back hand distribution but you know we have we we mail it out and uh i know from our art director chris barker that he can still get print copies in his local londis when <laughs> he doesn't really? arrive in the mail in time yeah so and, they're not and, all just uh, piling up on doormats around soho but when we well i mean back. i mean if, if they are they are but i mean uh I, I will say something else they're lovingly crafted and um you know i think you can I mean, I genuinely think that the magazines are not only was it amazing to produce them remotely, and we continue to produce them remotely, but you know they are, are an they will they will be an amazing record of this terrible, difficult, dramatic year, an you know, epic year. And yeah, I'm particularly proud of the annual, um, which is the December January issue, which looks back on 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 the past year because you know the. It, the annual's always been great but this year this past 2020 it's been it's a really it's a great issue i i in fact one of the things i said to the team uh, was i want people to be able to pick up this issue in three months time or six months time or in six years time and say that captured some of what 2020 was like no very good point um just one final one on the business side of things before handing over to, to Dino, because I know Dino's got a few questions as well. Um, but just in researching this, of course, I went to read back on your columns and I found that there's a, another subscription level uh, on campaign now called The Knowledge. Um, 
is it is it fair and appropriate to ask your user base to pay an extra forty pounds a month to read the esteemed words of the editor? Well, it's an interesting question about where how we price stuff. I mean, I think the strategy is something that the companies adopted, not just for campaign, but for some of the other titles that our owner Haymarket has. And essentially, it's to say, for uh, if you like. Uh, a, a base level of excellent content you subscribe to what we call a package called the information and for a, a more premium uh, in-depth uh, level of information and knowledge we've got this subscription called the knowledge and uh, is it fair to charge more for this package which includes a weekly column uh, which will sometimes be from me or from Maisie McCabe and from from others on the team um, for in-depth features for uh, a survey which we're doing in partnership with R3 Worldwide on the views of CMOs and also the sort of business outlook and we've also got a new data tracker product called Advertising Intelligence uh, with R3 which tracks new business performance for agencies. Is it fair? Well you know 40 pounds uh, yeah, I mean, and, and actually, um, I don't think it is. It, it might be about that. I'm trying to think of the, if I was to do the maths because you put me on the spot. I think it is 40 uh, a month difference. Yes. Yeah, it, 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 it's uh, it, whatever it is. It, it, it's in that ballpark, to be fair. Um, you know, it, it, we it, we are should be a business intelligence tool. And uh, I can tell you that if we can make the difference between someone winning or losing business because a client reads our article because a client is going to get a job a marketer at another company because a media owner is going to be able to pitch direct to that brand you know i think campaign is very valuable i mean it, it and you know the proof will be how many people subscribe to this higher tier um, my job and Maisie's job and uh, is to produce content worth paying for. And, you know, I 100% believe in that journalism is something you should pay for. I think advertising is a wonderful revenue stream. But, you know, the, the proof it, for anyone who's worked in the content business is advertising will not on its own underwrite the costs of high quality journalism. Right. Point well made. Dino, over to you. Thank you, Martin. Um, and thank you, Gideon, as well. Um, I just wanted to firstly comment and say that um, just to you know back up some of your points there um, about the importance of journalism, because I think that as an industry, it would have been a whole lot more lost over the last year if we hadn't had in a campaign, um, you know, producing everything you were talking about producing, which was great. So thank you for that, keeping our sanity and uh, and making the industry still relevant for us. Um, but the um, the thing I'd like to say, though, as well, ask you about is, you know, you talked about getting out there and understanding what was going on and speaking to agency heads and, and groups. And um, there's, a, there's a hell of a lot of change going on. Um, you know, there's, there's articles all the time about, you know, agencies consolidating, rebranding, as you mentioned, like AQA and Grey. Um, some of this was happening before lockdown and the pandemic. Uh, how would you describe... Uh, how would you sum it up in terms of what's going on, how agencies are reinventing themselves and what are the trends? It's such a good question. And um, it's a shame we've only got one hour. Um, <laughs> the, I, I, it's, a, it's a difficult way to, to sum, sum everything up. So 
if I were to say a few things that I think you you guys would probably agree with, in fact, maybe everyone in the room would agree with, you know, quite a lot of trends were already underway. And, you know, that could be e-commerce, it could be streaming, it could be remote working. You know, one of the things that when I joined Campaign already, we were doing elements of remote working five, six years ago. So that's one of the reasons we adapted quite well. Um, when I think about the specific world of advertising, I think, you know, I sometimes to navigate the industry, I, I do think it's helpful to think to split it between brands, agencies and the media owners and platforms. And brands are, are, are they've been winners and losers in COVID. And uh, generally, if you were winning before, and you weren't in something like hospitality or retail. Um, if you were winning before, you know, you, you things have really accelerated. And that ha the cliche is that there was 10 years of change in 10 weeks. And then I've heard 12 years of change in 12 months. But whatever it is, there's been a big acceleration. So you have to speed up how you are going to uh, change your business if you are a brand. And actually, in a world of remote working, things like communications, and marketing have become more important. Uh, I think that's one of the reasons why the agency sector has, after a very bad Q2 2020, has, has kind of picked up quite well. On the agency side, yes, there's been huge amounts of flux and change, and they, that, that's been going on, well, no, arguably it's always going on, but I think particularly in the last three or four years, and maybe media transparency, media buying transparency, and also the ease of being able to create on a laptop or even a mobile phone, you know, in different ways, undermined media agencies and creative agencies. But it's very exciting. And I think uh, I don't like to give Samart and Sorrel too much credit, uh, but, you know, S4 Capital has been an extraordinary story. This startup that he created after things went wrong for him at WPP and, and to go from a one billion to a two billion pound business during the first six months of COVID is amazing. So there's proof that there's a lot of activity around in the agency sector. There's a tremendous amount of entrepreneurial activity. So I'm very optimistic about agencies. And, and even the big agency groups have, you know, they were changing before COVID and some of them have been faster than others. But we did a story in campaign that publicists got an approach from private equity and um, publicists had a funny way of denying it which was only after I'd published the story but the um the point is is the agents there's a recognition that agencies are undervalued and if you look um WPP share price went through nine pounds this week that's the first time in a year um last thing on the media owners and platforms I mean I think that is incredibly tough right and I, I in a way I feel most sympathetic to people in out of home and cinema um and yes quite a lot of the sort of publications and especially some of the, the free commuter titles it, it's been so brutal the last 12 months and um maybe it will be clarifying and maybe it won't i think it's the the question is is how much are the big platforms going to be regulated i think still um because you know google facebook um the Amazon, they've all done very well. But TikTok has been exciting. I'm afraid I'm not on TikTok, but I get lots of updates from my teenage daughters. So I'm aware of uh, the power of TikTok. And just to go back to one more thing, you know, remote working, that is changing everything. It's going to make a lot of businesses in 
advertising and marketing services more efficient uh, not necessarily better but more efficient and so that's going to be it's going to be super interesting what happens uh, one of the trends i don't like is uh, offshoring you know and i think you're going to see some of these big groups save money by you know maybe, i mean i don't want to be critical and say that you shouldn't the, the talent i'm sure exists in the some of these offshore locations uh, places like bulgaria and india but they're you know that it's going to lead potentially to a smaller UK creative industries headcount. You're listening to the Dog and Bone podcast, brought to you by Propeller Group and hosted by me, Martin Lote. If you're enjoying the show, please do give us a star rating as you see fit. Subscribe to the podcast, or better still, leave a review, letting us know what you think and what you'd like to hear about next. But for now, back to our conversation. This whole, uh, you know, a, a lot of what Martin Sorrell is talking about, for example, is, is you know, the digital uh, side of, um, of of agencies and growing in that in that side, and um, and almost like not really caring so much about traditional media. But at the same time, you know, the article that came out about, for example, Airbnb um, deciding not to invest in performance marketing or taking away their performance marketing over the last year and realizing it didn't really have an effect. Um, how do you feel? Because it, it feels like there's a bit of a, um, a divide happening in the industry largely uh, with, with, with agencies going in one direction or the other. And how do you feel about that? And what do you think is, um, is going to be the result of all this kind of division? That's a good question. So um, Airbnb said that they were, that, that because obviously the travel sector kind of grounds for halt. They turned off all their performance marketing, the, the kind of stuff they were doing on uh, Google and um, a lot of data-driven marketing to get people to, you know, book on Airbnb. And they discovered that they kept, they got 95% of the traffic without what, even though they, uh, they were getting a year earlier. So they are cutting back on performance marketing and, and they're going to do more brand building and PR. Um, but, you know, th there is resonance for lots of companies because uh, there are lots of companies which are obsessed by collecting more personal data and, and doing personalized marketing. Um, but, you know, we know that also brand building requires of emotional storytelling. It requires a sense that there's a sort of a broad um, brand story that you you can engage with and share sharing whether you know it, it taps into culture not and and so i think the, the debate about just because the technology exists to do hundreds of thousands of executions doesn't mean you should always use it and and there was a cmo who said to me uh, all this data-driven marketing has is, is been great and it, yeah, it's been great because it's, we optimize it and we get loads of efficiency and savings but i wonder what is it doing to my brand because Actually, if I think about Just Eat, you know, great campaign with Snoop Doggy Dog, uh, one of my favorite rappers. And that, that, you know, that was a great brand campaign. Now, I actually don't know enough about the Just Eat marketing model. I have a feeling that they have, um, you know, got amazing data targeting as well, from what I know from talking to them. The, the, this is a debate where it really depends where your brand is at. The digital disruptors, which have built themselves through performance marketing and a lot of data, are going one way, I think. Uh, Airbnb is, in particular has a, it's a tremendous fame and recognition because it sort of redefined a, a category. There are a lot of other companies that you can't say that of. 
Um, but if you're a sort of more traditional legacy kind of business, then you and you maybe don't have all that direct to consumer relationship. You don't have all that data. I think you approach it very differently. You 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 can do the brand building, and it's not so easy uh, doing the performance stuff. There's no one way forward. But I will say this: you know, campaign has always stood for creativity, and all the um, everything that I feel like I inherited and and you know I I've I've understood about the campaign legacy. We we believe in the power of creativity in terms of telling stories, bring brands to life, connecting with culture. And, you know, I think we will always set, have that as our North Star. You heard it here first, guys. Uh, Gideon is a Snoop Dogg fan. I mean, who would have thought we would have heard that on the clubhouse? <laughs> and I thought you were going to say he's a creativity fan, but yes, maybe one of the <laughs> Should we turn to questions? Tomorrow, yes. Hi. Uh, yeah, so I, I'm Tamara Littleton. I'm the, the CEO and founder of The Social Elements. Uh, we're a, a social media agency working with, with fab brands such as Oreos and HSEC and Peloton. Um, now, Gideon, I have a trends question for you, if that's OK, because um, we found that we were helping many of our clients to uh, with their tone of voice on social to help them be more human and have empathy. And I wondered if you are seeing that trend as well. Do you think brands have become more empathetic and do you see that being the norm? Um, yes, I think I think it's a good question about uh, how much have I seen it and how much it's becoming the norm. I, 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 but I do think that there is definitely something in the kind of collective experience of covid which has meant that that we have understood that it's been a colossal shared experience and and i think you saw in those first early weeks in particular that there was some great work done by brands and agencies and media owners working to support what was obviously a sort of national effort in many countries and and i think some some companies that got the got the tone wrong kind of got slapped down um and uh, i think i remember mcdonald's had didn't they do something where they separated their arches in sympathy with isolation i think they everyone thought that was a terrible idea for example um and a lot of this stuff gets played out in social so i do think that getting the tone right tesco i think did a good job uh, uh, during the, the crisis has become more important and you know, in terms of social as a space, I mean, that's really complicated. And I think that unfortunately, uh, you know, Donald Trump aside, it is a place where it, things can turn toxic or maybe toxic is a bit strong, but but can get, you know, quite angry. Um, it was interesting to see what happened to Marmite with their recent campaign. And, you know, I think they, they did that out of home execution, but they were looking for the social sort of buzz and then I think they went a bit too far in trying to get lots of different brands to interact with them it's a it's a the last thing I'll say on this is Margaret Jobling who's the CMO of NatWest Group wrote a good piece which campaign published a week or so ago where she was talking about maybe there's been a swing back to a bit of right brain thinking something I think that Martin is very keen on the uh, idea of of just being a bit more emotional and empathetic Okay, great. Um, Stephen May here. I've got um, a, a sort of double-edged question, really, which is both backwards and forwards. And 
I'm just thinking of all your years and all your wisdom, Gideon, in in uh, in this world and going forward. What's the biggest What's the biggest surprise in the agency landscape that you've felt over the last two or three years? You mentioned the sort of AKQA merger and 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 S4C and things like that. I just wonder what you know has most surprised you almost the last two or three years in the agency world and and going forward. What do you predict is going to happen that's going to be the biggest surprise? Sorry to ask you two questions. Um, well, uh, they're good questions. And it's, it's, no, it's not an easy question to answer in a funny kind of way, because um, uh, if I think about the last couple of years, if there's been a surprise, um, I mean, I, I will come back to Martin Sorrell and just say, I think his exit, in, which was almost three years ago in April of 2018, was... was uh, quite quite a surprise uh, but it wasn't a shock because I always thought he would kind of go down in flames and he he was he was a uh, he's obviously reinvented himself since but he uh, you know in terms of as a business leader he, he did suck up a lot of share of voice what's amazing about the agency space is there's so many talented entrepreneurs so many creative people who are so inventive and I don't think that's ever really changed as far as I can tell I think what happened around uh, you know I date it from 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 after the ANA transparency report in the US but around 2017 I think a lot of those agency groups really struggled with bigness so I think the thing that surprised me was it, this this having covered the advertising industry for sort of uh, more than 10 years it, it was that sense that suddenly everything was going wrong um for these big groups and when i say going wrong you know you had in housing and companies being able to buy direct from google and facebook and google and facebook doing quite a good job of getting them to buy direct and you had these new companies where you know, including the, the big consulting firms come in so it was it, that was a sort of quite a um a dramatic moment and i think if you it, it, yeah there were lots of other factors outside that that uh, from sort of brexit uh to trump but uh, i do think that that was a, that was a surprise and and actually when you look back it i do believe it was a sort of pivotal moment then um is there a surprise coming up well uh I, I do think that the agent that there's the sentiment about the agency sector has improved a lot and you know we're in for a rebound so it sounds ridiculous to say but i suppose um my not that i think it always in these terms but i, I think that, that there ought to be some kind of big merger i mean it's been interesting that essentially the way the big groups have, have coped is they've just carried out lots of internal mergers maybe because the cultural fit is so difficult to do a big merger with another organisation, they realised it was better to sort of sort their own house out than try and buy the house next door. The last time that was tried, publishers and Omnicom, wasn't it egos that stopped it from happening? Um, or, <laughs> yeah, or, or, or lack of cultural fit or lack of rationale. I mean, there, there might have been a number of reasons. Um, my favourite story there, and this, you know, talking about getting out and about, was... Um, Publicis had an investor day in um, the LBI offices in Brick Lane. And this was uh, just before the merger talks, um, you know, broke. Uh, so people didn't know at that stage. And Maurice Levy, the CEO, um, you know, hosted in London, right? And he got the catering firm to 
drive over from Paris because there's clearly no uh, company in London that could possibly provide the kind of quality French food for the you know shareholders and analysts who were coming to the investor day in Brick Lane and uh, I thought what are the chances of uh, the cultural fit between Omnicom from the country of hamburgers and uh, you know France the the home of oak cuisine um, and so uh, that was my cultural fit warning. Thank you Stephen Mayer for that question we'll get a few more and I see we're joined by Ian Moore. Ian, could you unmute and um, ping your question to Gideon? Hi, hi everyone. Hi, Martin. Hi, Gideon. You mentioned um, the share performance, both of uh, WPP and um, uh, Martin's new vehicle. Um, I'd be interested in your view about the holding groups. Are there best days behind them or can Mark and the rest kind of reinvent them for the, you know, for the sort of post-COVID age? Well, um, look, I, I work for Campaign, which has been around for 51 years. Uh, so I 100% believe in the power of reinvention. Uh, in fact, if I didn't, then I think, you know, what's the life of a company these days? It's getting shorter and there, you know, there, there are loads of disruptors. And by the way, there are loads of interesting challenges to campaign as well. So you, you, the onus is on reinvention. And I, I, I believe any business is capable of reinvention if, you know, they don't leave it too late. And I, I, my, although there's a lot of there has been a lot of negativity about the big agency groups. I think they've always, well, pretty much always shown an ability to reinvent, certainly in the last 10 years, when there hasn't been a tremendous amount of change. So, uh, sorry, I mean, when I say tremendous amount of change, there hasn't been a tremendous number of, say, of consolidation, for example. Um, so, yeah, I, I would say that the, the, the if you look at the fundamentals, advertising and marketing and communications and the whole customer experience, everything from from so when you click on the app to to when you order get something delivered, all of that is becoming more important. And you think about banks becoming digital. Um, you think about how well, you'd never have believed it, really, but how things like education and medicine are really becoming much more online. And I think the role for creativity and communications goes up. So if those businesses can pivot, you know, there's an irony that Accenture's valuation can go up for buying creative agencies but wpps can go down because they own them it's kind of mad and i think there's been a mismatch in valuations if you look at just google and facebook share price and go uh, okay so these are ad funded businesses they've just gone through the roof now we know they get an unfair unfair share but the problem is that the agency groups have not modernized to to, to if you like uh, be a proxy for those companies to to be chained, if that's the right word, or linked to that growth. And Martin Sorrell, freed from the legacy he he had, disowning his legacy and being disowned by the company, he 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 just set about creating a, a, a very digital business. And no wonder it's grown a lot. I mean, we'll see how long it lasts and so on. But it, I, I the, Ian, anyone can reinvent if they. Uh, get on with it. I'm conscious that we're coming towards the end of the allotted hour, so I'll I'll see if anyone else wants to shoot their hand up for a question. But while they're thinking about that, I've got a slightly fun one for you, Gideon, towards the end here. And as you're now nicely warmed up, um, you were, you mentioned public relations a little while ago, and just a question straddling all our worlds. Um, campaigns obviously traditionally built up some some great leaders in the industry. People, you know, Mark Reed, Martin Sorrell, Nils Leonard were mentioned. 
who who in the industry at the moment has got their PR right? Who's the best spokesman or woman for the industry who uh, reaches you the most? Uh, that's a difficult question to answer. I, I mean, I don't necessarily like to f- frame my um, thinking uh, like that uh, in terms of who who do I rate as a great communicator. So if I've turned it on its head, I mean, I think uh, people who come to us to relevant, interesting stuff are are good. And But a lot of the time, we're going to be proactive. We're going to find things out or we're going to spot things and we're going to want uh, people to help and be cooperative. And I, and that's what I would say is, is that sometimes the biggest problem is when you go to a company and they and you've got a story. It's not necessarily a bad story. I mean, it could be, but, you know, dialogue is so important because you you know i mean i actually think it makes for better journalism obviously but also um you know when companies aren't cooperative it tends to lead to um you know poorer stories you know i think wendy clark uh at dentsu who's the new ceo who came in i mean she came in in september and she's you know she gave her first and only interview to campaign um in february and i feel that yeah it was great we was great for us um but also for me and for a campaign i think it's very very useful and it means that we could help yeah we are helping get get her message out but she had an interesting message which is why the piece i wrote was four thousand words yeah good communicators um reap what they sow i'm all for that um Dino, any closing remarks before we wrap up? No, I'd like to say thank you, um, Gideon, and thank you, Martin, and everyone that asked uh, great questions. I think we could have talked a while on a number of those points. Um, the um, the thing I, th- I found, you know, almost most interesting, which um, I'm a strong believer of, is is how marketing is just becoming more and more important. And um, and I think also the fact that you know, doing things like uh, like digital and performance marketing, I think people are finding out that that's it's quite difficult to do it well. It's easy to do it, and it's very difficult to do it really well. Which is why I think that there's a lot of change and a lot of you know uh, indecision about the right kind of marketing strategies and approaches going on now. But um, it's good to hear that um, you know we're aligned in terms of the positivity and hopefully the out- outlook going forward. Um, although it might take a little while, but uh, we'll get there. So thank you, Gideon, for your time and all your answers. Thank you for asking me and uh, thanks to everyone who's listen, listening. And I know, I know quite a lot of you and um, some of you have worked on campaign in the past. And, you know, I feel very lucky to have joined such a great title. And it's got a you know fantastic history of journalism for, as I say, now for 51 years. And I, you know, I feel like I, I've learned a lot. For the future, I'm really optimistic about campaign. We've got the campaign school reports coming out in April and as part of what we've been doing for several years, we get, we've asked more questions this year about diversity, uh, about ethnic representation agencies uh, and, you know, about the gender balance. You know, these are all things where I like to think campaign can make a positive contribution. And, you know, these are really, really important because, you know, I think I look, I can look at who's in this room on clubhouse and i can look at who's in the room at campaign events and i want to make sure that we as a team at campaign are, are attracting people from all over the creative industries and beyond and you know we we can't just do the same old same old a positive note to end on there from our guest gideon spanier and i hope you got value from what he had to say Thanks also to the people who asked questions, Tamara Littleton, Stephen Mayer and Ian Maud, 
and I think using Clubhouse to create this dog and bone has worked. And my thanks go to Dino Myers-Lamptey, my co-host, and the production team at Propeller Group for making it happen. Speak to you again soon. Thanks for joining us on The Dog and Bone. Please subscribe to the podcast, and if you have any questions or suggestions, do get in touch via our website, dogandbone.dog, or send us an email at woof at dogandbone.dog.